I try to make sure you guys have that so you have the cheat sheets in case you can't read the, the, the scriptures here. But it's out of Mark chapter 10. And in it, Jesus is getting ready to get up and leave and this rich young ruler comes up to him and he's like, I have a question I have to ask you. And Jesus is like, okay. And the question he says is, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I can imagine the situation where it sounded good. You ever have those conversations where you, you wait till the last minute to ask it, but you've already played it out a billion times in your head, and you're thinking, how can I best get the attention to get the answer that I want? I mean, I'll be honest. Like I said, I'm humble, open, and transparent. There are times that I have conversations with my wife before I get it when I want something. I look at her and I say, hey, honey, I would like to get this thing right here, and this is why, this is what it is. And she's already told me no a billion times in my head. So I have to, I've been manipulating it and trying to get it set up in my mind. You know what I'm talking about, right? Until I finally wait to the last minute and I say, I got to do this. And then I think that I'm going to get the answer I want. But how often is it that we don't? I can imagine this rich young ruler doing the exact same thing thinking he's going to get the best answer that he could ever get. But you know you get some trouble when it starts off of, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Let us pray real quick. Father God, Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing in this place. Touch this message, Lord. Let us examine ourselves and examine what our perceptions are of what you called us to take care of, Lord. Lord, touch the sermon. Lord, touch me, Lord, and let it come out clearly and precisely how you need it to through your Holy Spirit, Lord, to allow it to go to itchy ears, Lord, whoever is hearing it in this building or online, that they might actually take something away with it, Lord, to edify their faith, Lord. Lord, I praise you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me say, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Those words are not ones that I would ever want to hear. I understand why the rich young ruler is coming at him and he's asking the question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? How many of us have gone through that same mentality? Where we're like, okay, I've calculated it all to try to figure out where my salvation is and, and how I can get to heaven and do all these things. But then we miss the mark because we've hypothesized too much of what good is. You see, I've been questioning that same phrase all week long. What is good? And I kept calculating it and thinking about it and processing it. And I'm like, God... Why do you keep making me answer this question a thousand times? And he says it's because the world has gotten so off mark of what good is. Even within the church, we struggle to calculate and understand what he's saying is good. You see, truly, what we keep going back and forth on is if good is good, there's got to be something that's completely opposite of good to allow us to know what is good and what is not. That balance is usually good versus evil. 
Growing up as kids, I remember we played cops and robbers. The cops were the good guys, the robbers were the bad guys. Watching movies, there's always a good guy and a bad villain, an evil person. Getting older, we keep seeing the stories on the news. This is a good situation and this is an evil situation. In politics, we hear the same thing. He's a good leader. This one's a vile, evil person. You don't want him. And then even growing up in church, we've read through the scriptures where we know that God is good and Satan is the evil one. But how do we know what good is? And that's the conundrum we keep getting stuck into. Because if we really go through and do the research, we understand that good is an equivalent to a thought, to a label, to something on it. That's why when you look up the definition within the, the dictionary.com, because you know me, I'm the technology age. I don't pull up Webster's no more. The definition says to desire or to be desired or approved of. Another one says to have qualities that require for a particular role or the wellness of good. Evil, I love this definition. You ready for it? Immoral and wicked. You see, we, we try to calculate what is good by those two definitions, those sets of definitions. What's good is if it's, it's, if it's going to fit. Like, my pants are good because they fit today. My pants are evil because I gained too much weight and they're too snug and you don't want to see me walk around in those. Just like the same thing happens with, with if I were to put a label on my wife. My wife is good today because she cooked the dinner and made the house look clean and did all these things. My wife is evil because he, she, she berated me and made me feel so inferior. You could do the same with your husbands. I'm not just saying it. I'm just talking out here. But that's what we keep going back and forth on. We keep trying to label good and evil and making that the decisive factors of what is good. But the scripture also says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father above with whom there is no shadow or deviation of light which is to change. And then the Bible also says that even bad people give away good gifts. But how much more so is the good gifts that comes from the good Father? You see, I keep questioning what is good. And I think we all need to question that same thought. What is it that our perception of good is every single day of our lives? Is it just because you got in the car, it had the perfect song on, and you're driving, and there was no traffic, and nobody cut you off, and you got to the place you wanted to get to with no incident? Or is it good for something else? You see, I think that's the struggle. The world wants to say everything is good as long as it fits their own selfish needs. It's good because you accept me for who I am. It's good because you called me the right pronouns. It's good because I am me and you're bad because you're not me. It's good because you accepted everything I say, but if you try to contradict anything I say, you're bad. You see, there's a, there's a diagonal of, 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 of good that we keep going, I don't understand. But good has got to have a label on it that has to be more significant if we're going to keep using it. And that's the struggle that I keep going back to. 
Because what I've learned, and as I've, as I've done my research, I kept going, God, why do you keep asking me what is good any longer? And I keep saying, I have no clue. And he looked at me, as he, as he likes to do. And I feel him highlight scriptures in my head as he brings them to my remembrance. And as I get flooded and inundated with his truths. And I start going, God, I remember back in Genesis 1 and 30, where you saw the whole creation of this world and said, it is good. And if it is good, then it has to have a purpose. But the problem is, the measure of what is good is not something that can be tamed by the earthly means. Let that seep in real quick. The measure, the label that we calculate what good is can never be contained by earthly means. If it was so, then God would not be looking on the external of the world and the creation and say it is good. It is very good is exactly what the scripture says. It is very good. It is perfect. Oh, wait, did I? There it is. It is very good. And if that's the case, then we have to really understand what God is trying to mean. Because we cannot just look at good and think about God who is infinite and knows all time and all things. And as he's looking at this creation, and he's calling it very good, all knowing that, a, uh, that, that Adam and Eve are going to go and bite from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That their son Abel is going to get killed by his brother Cain. That the world is going to get so wicked that God is going to have to smite all the wickedness out of it. But God, even in his infinite wisdom and his calculations of what good is, still looked at it and said it is good. And when we think about that and we relate that to what Jesus is getting at with the rich young ruler and he's saying, you're looking at me trying to put a label on me that says I'm good because of what? Well, because he healed that man over there. Because he's teaching things that are making people really question wonderful thoughts about who God is. Well, he's doing these miracles. He's doing that over there. He's feeding 5,000 over here. Good teacher, you're doing good stuff, so I'm going to calculate you as good. How many of us have went through this life with the same mentality of church? Where we come in and we're like, okay, it's good, I walked in. People are nice. Oh, okay, this is going to be a great day. It's going to be good. All oh, the services got the right worship songs. It's good. But we don't understand what God is trying to call you to is to that label of good. He's trying to waken you up to the truth of what good is. But that's only going to come when we understand that God has a different definition than we will ever do. Because there has to be a time today where you are willing to ask the deep questions. What makes this good? What makes this all good? What is it that makes your life great in all that you do? I mean, I can imagine looking down, or God looking down at something and calling it good and doing what he wants to. But then yet he looks at the depravity of all of our human race. 
But I want to tell somebody that God is looking down at the world and creation at the starting point, and when he said it was good, he was doing it because he had something in mind. Because who makes things worthy of being good? Can I ask you that? Who makes things worthy of being good? Brother Chip, you got it right. He points out. Only God can make things worthy of being good. You see, God saw it and said it was good. Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and said, why do you call me good? And there was a point in the midst of both of these true statements that it is that the creation is not good apart from the one who created it. Apart from the one. You see, what, what I'm trying to get somebody to understand is that good is nothing if the creator is not with that has a purpose. It's like when you go through the Taco Bell, you think it's going to be good. And then you get home an hour later and you realize it might not be so good. I'm trying to make you realize something. We have an intention of what is good and because it pleases, it's pleasing to our eyes. But what God is trying to say is it might not be pleasing to your eye, but it's good for you. Just like the times when he reproves you. It might not seem good in your eyes that you lose your job. But yet God says, I will sustain you through it all. It might not be good when your wife starts berating you, but because she, God's using you, her to get you to realize that you're not always right. Same with the wives. Husbands, sometimes you've got to be the vessel of love, even when the wife is not always doing what she needs to be doing. Because that's scripture, because it says, well, husbands, love your wives with everything you got. Wives, submit to your husband. Because those are the two things that we struggle with the most. What I'm trying to get at is our label of good is nothing. It's only calculable and able to be used if we allow it to be, if we can actually say what the truth is. Because if the creator is in it, it's got an impact. That gets me to the next point. How is the goodness that God is giving us going to glorify God? I think I put the wrong slide up. There it is. How is the goodness going to glorify God? You see, the thing I struggle with is that we have a world that wants good to be good. With no purpose in it. They want good to be whatever makes them feel good. Because that's the definition. If it's pleasing to me and it gives me the thing that I want. It's good. But when God calls things good. It's for purpose. Because the purpose that God has always intended the whole creation to do. Was to exalt his name and give him glory forever. And if that's the case. The label of good has got to be replaced with what the world has done to be the scriptural version of what we need. We have to be able to decipher what is truly good. 
And if we're deciphering what is good, it has to be done through the creator. I mean, can you imagine a paper plate that has no sides on it to hold the food in? Would you call that a good paper plate if all you're doing is it's flat and all the food's falling off of it? I would not. Just like a cup. If a cup was porous and allowed every liquid that I put into it and it didn't follow through the intention of what it was designed for, it's not good. Have you ever gotten the straws at the, the drive-thru and you go to take a sip out of it and it starts spewing that little fluid out of the side of it because there's a hole in it? It's not a good straw. And sometimes God's looking at humanity saying you're not doing what's called to be good. Because you're saying that you're broken, but you're not allowing the Creator to fix it. You're not actually walking in the ability and the task that I've set before you. But that's the struggle that we keep going back into. Because how is your goodness going to glorify God? If we're always equating good with evil. C.S. Lewis asked a question that put this in a little bit of a perspective. What he was observing that it was the idle uh, ones that were uh, speculating about the origins of evil. But the problem is when all you're trying to do is calculate what evil starts with, how is that glorifying God? And so what God said is I'm going to take care of this situation once and for all. And, and, and C.S. Lewis kind of said it this way. He says the only solution for the fact that of evil is God's solution. Jesus Christ. It is through Christ that our purpose is being told. Better yet, it is through Christ that we can see the goodnesses that we have in our lives. The Creator comes on this planet and shows the creation what is good as Jesus is walking around. That is why when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he calls him good, Jesus' response is a manner to check the creation on this very truth. Nothing is good except God, and what he says is good, the label that he puts on it. So as we look around this world, I have to ask you, what good do you see? What good are you seeing every single day of your lives as you walk around? Let me tell you, I wake up every morning and I see that sun and I'm like, Lord, it's a good day. Because you allowed me to have the breath in my lungs, and that's a good thing. It's allowing me to exalt your name today. It's a good thing. I think sometimes we got to get a little bit more excited about the good things of God and not about the bad things of God. Sometimes that person that cut me off was a blessing because they'd allowed me not to get hit by the car that was doing something stupid or up the road. Sometimes the good things of God are coming through because of what he's got his hand on. And it's the same thing. But we check our hearts because we label what's good on what makes us feel comfortable. But how does that glorify God? How does that do it? If Jesus is trying to get us to understand the truth about what good is through the rich young ruler's story, how is it that we can glorify God with the good things he has? Let me ask you a real quick question. What is it that you do every single day? What is it that allows you to give the good back to God? You were designing, you were called good the second you accepted Christ in your hearts. And you allowed him to start changing you. Allowed his teachings to start modifying you to make you look more and more like Christ. 
But that good will only do so much if you're only willing to hold it in. What I'm trying to get at is you have to be willing to glorify God. And that gets to the point where we have to have faith because it's good and pleasing to God. Faith is good. If it wasn't so, then the writer of Hebrews 11, 6 would say, not say, without, all, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For everything would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. You see, what I'm trying to get at is the struggle that we keep trying to get into is that the label that we put on good and it not be good is one that will always cause to be a stumbling block along your journey. And when God is saying, I want you to see what the good is, but the good's going to come through your believing in my goodness, that thing called faith, where you don't look around to the left or the right, but you hold on to the side as you look to my heavenly hand as I lead you with it. That's the point that we have to go on. And if we're walking this Christian walk without that, we're in a world of hurt. We're in a struggling walk where we're constantly going left and right looking like we're drunkards. And the world's looking at you going, huh, I told you, you're a bunch of hypocrites. But it's time for us to let God's goodness labeled be the thing that exalts his name as we walk out in what is good. And that good is faith. It's being rooted with him. It's being trusting in him. It's something that we all struggle with every day. Can I just say it? It's not always easy to be walking in faith. When the bank account's low, when the pantry's empty, better yet, when the car breaks down and you don't have the finances to fix it. It's not always easy. But that's where faith's definition in Hebrews 11.1 1 says, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, but of the things have not yet seen. We have to be children of God that would be willing to say your goodness is in my faith as you called it. Better yet, the next point that we have to get to is where we're being spiritually minded. I know you're looking at me going, Pastor, what is that supposed to mean? I'm always spiritually minded, right? I make sure I get up and I do my five Hail Marys and I do this and that and I'm always great. No. Let me tell you, the enemy wants to get you to be less spiritually minded and more folks, uh, uh, fleshly focused. It's a struggle that we all get into. Trust me, even the pastor of this church does it sometimes. Because there are days in my life where I want to say explicitives out the window of people driving on 224. Trust me, when I lived in South Carolina on Woodruff Road, I really wanted to do it. And if you ever go down to South Carolina on Woodruff Road, you'll know what I'm talking about. But what I'm trying to say is people get my flesh riled up. You ever had that happen too, where that people just get your flesh and you just feel like it's all going to come on and you're going to have to say, Lord, i got to get saved today. Let's go. But God doesn't call that good. He says, I want you to be so spiritually minded that you're focused on me more than anything else. In fact, what we have to look at is in Romans 8, where we find that it says, for to set your mind on the flesh is death. When you want to get your little anger going and saying, I'm going to get saved later, it's death. 
Because you're calculating the sin back into your life and saying, I'll take that punishment yet again. But it's death. And it continues on. But to set uh, the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind is, is set on the flesh, is hostile to God, uh, for it does not submit to the law of God. Indeed, it cannot, for you are in the flesh, or for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, the struggle that God is trying to get you to waken up to is you have to go beyond the very values and the limits that you think you have by putting your focus on Him and allowing your spirit to be the thing that draws you to Him. And that's what allows good to be brought into your life because it says the very truth that if you are so spiritually minded, life and peace will rule. There's a reason why people go, why do you not flip those people off? And it's because I say I'm so spiritually minded. I'm so heavenly good. I'm not so worthly bound. No, I'm just, I'm just joking there on that one. The truth is, the struggle that I keep going on is going, God, what is good? How can I exalt your name in this place and glorify it? And he's saying by being so different to the world that they just question what it is. And that comes through the spiritual mindedness that we're called to be obedient to. But it also comes through the point where we allow the fear of the Lord to be the thing that rules us. Trust me, I could do a whole sermon on the fear of the Lord. I'm going to highlight it for you. The fear of the Lord is not a fear, but a reverence. It's understanding who God is and allowing him to be in the proper place in your life. That he is able to have the proper anointing system put in place. I wish I would have thought about this. I had an umbrella. Because the way it works is. God's anointing and goodnesses and labels fall on you like rain. But the only way they fall on you is if you're underneath them properly. It's like one of those small little rain cells that the person over there is getting wet, but you're dry as a bone. And you're going, why am I not getting wet? In this world, we're thankful. But the rest of the time, I want to be under that rain. I want to be following that rain. I want to put God in his proper place and be following him all the days of my life. So that way I'm getting that anointing every single day. And that should be what it is. But that comes through the fear of the Lord, the reverence and allowing him to be in the proper aspect and place. The church struggles with that because we don't always do that. It's just like with the tithe and the offering. We don't always put it in the proper areas. It's just like in our prayer time. It's not always in the proper area. Better yet, let me say it again, the tithe is not just money. I know everybody thinks tithe, we just want your money. No, I don't want your money. It makes the church go around, but it's not what's important. What the tithe is, is a tenth of everything that you have. How much time are you giving God? Are you allowing him to have the proper fear and the reverence in your life where you say, God, I'm going to give you time where I'm on my knees praying to you and listening to you. God, I'm going to read your word a little longer today because I want it to be so edifying to my soul that I cannot hunger and thirst without having this verse. Better yet, I want to have a relationship with you that's proper and valued. That's the reverence that God has. You see, Psalms 147 and 11 says, But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Church, if we would get this label on us, 
we would do a whole lot better to understand what is good. But so often we begrudgingly give God what he wants. Begrudgingly would be better of a label of evil than good. But what God is saying is if I want to put the label of good on you, it's because you're willing to understand the proper context and place that you need to have me in. Then we also need to seek to know Jesus. To seek and know Jesus. And seeking to know Jesus is our, our call. It's the thing that allows God to see the good in you. It's the thing that allows him to put the label on you. And I know you're looking at me. I'm in church, I'm learning about Jesus, I'm seeking to know Him, right? No, it's not enough on Sundays to come in and say, I want to know Jesus. It's not enough to say, and I know of who Jesus is. It's not enough to say, I've heard somebody about this teacher, Jesus. It's not enough to say, I think there was a Jesus. It's not enough to allow God's goodness to flow through you that would glorify God in your ideas of calculating what your good is if you don't know Jesus. And what that looks like is, is a relationship with our Savior. Last week we talked about Easter, the Resurrection Sunday. I asked you the question, what next? Jesus died on the cross. What happened next? He went into the tomb. They laid him in the tomb. He was there three days, and then the angels rolled the stone back. And then when his disciples and Mary Magdalene and all of them showed up the tomb, they looked inside and saw that it was empty. But it wasn't until Jesus revealed himself that they exalted him even greater because they realized that we don't serve a dead Savior. We don't serve Jesus who died. We serve a Jesus and a God who is very much alive every single day of our life. And if he's alive, we should be able to seek him and to know him because he's willing to conversate with you. If you don't believe me, go start reading your word. He's still speaking every single day. He's still moving through his spirit within the church. He's still trying to show us who he is. But we struggle to seek to know him. But what we really, really got to calculate is if God is willing to tell his disciples one big truth, that means that we have to abide by it too. And that comes out of Matthew chapter 17 where it tells us, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. If you stop there, that'd be great. But if you read the last three words, it says, listen to him. You seek Jesus. You seek Jesus every single day of your life. Lord, forgive me. Touch me this way. Lord, show me your goodness. Show me your mercy. But how often do you actually get to know him when he starts speaking back? How often do you actually hear him say, I love you and I'm making you good? How often are you willing to take your time and allow it to be the edification that you need to understand what is good and pleasing to our Heavenly Father? How often are we doing that? That's the struggle in the church still today. Just like the world, they want to say, well, we know of a teacher. But they don't want to know Jesus. It's like if you get into an argument with an atheist. 
The question is, you would ask, if Jesus is really the Son of God, would you actually want to know him? And if they said no, you know they don't want to care to even listen. You know the conversation's null and void at that point because their hearts are not softened to the truth. But if they're willing to say yes, you know that they're willing to seek to know who Jesus is and he can transform their lives. It opens up the doors to allow that conversation to be the goodness that glorifies God. Another one that everybody seems to struggle with, including me sometimes, is to obey God. That one's the simplest one. I think that should have been number one, right? Oh, it's always good if you obey God. He's going to do all the goodness. You're going to be able to glorify him. But it's the struggle within everybody of our li- or everyone's lives. We struggle to obey God because like what 1 Samuel 15 tells us in the scripture where he says, As the Lord has a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold... It is better than sacrifice to listen or, or to listen than the fat of the rams. It is better to obey than sacrifice, and it's better to listen than the, ram, the fat of the rams. That means it's better to obey in everything that we are and give God all of the glory and all of the honor and everything that we have. But what does that look like? Samuel in this situation was looking at Saul, who would not wait for the sacrifice to be done. So he did it ahead of Samuel and got ahead of God. There are times in our lives where we struggle to obey God. Sometimes it's when the Spirit tells you, hey, I want you to go left and you go right. Sometimes it's just obeying the commandments. I mean, Deuteronomy 10 tells us to keep the commandments and statutes of God, which I am commanding you today for your good. It's keeping those rules and those orders is what God wants us to have. But the struggle that we go through is the goodnesses that build upon those things. That's why obeying God is not in the first part of the list. Because you can't obey a God that you don't know. You can't be obeying a God if you don't know how to listen to him spiritually. You can't obey a God if you don't know what faith is. You can't obey a God if you're not willing to listen carefully with intention. Better yet, you can't be doing God's will if you don't know how to obey. See, it's a building effect of where God's trying to get you to understand his goodness. Doing God's will. What does that look like in the church? Trust me. I've asked that question a thousand times. I remember in my early days as a Christian, I would come to church and I'd sit back in the back row and I'd like pastor feet. That's good. And then I got a little bit closer in the rows and I got a little bit further up and then eventually at some point in time, I got brave enough to sit on the front row. Oh, Lord, help me. I got on the front row. Church, I, I need a couple front rowers. Come on. But I learned to obey God's will when I, he started calling me in the ministry. Better yet, I learned how to obey God's will when I wasn't even serving in ministry. When I was just the guy back there running cameras. I learned how to obey God's will when I was listening to his commandments that I should not steal or kill or do all the different things. I learned God's will when I started learning how to love my neighbor who I despised so intently because they had rollerblades that always made me stay up at night. 
I learned how to do these different things by doing God's will and obeying it because he was doing something within me. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Now may the God of peace who brought you again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of his eternal covenant, equip you. May he do all these things, but may he equip you. Let me just say that again. He's going to equip you to have that label of good, to do what he's calling you to do with everything that's good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, that's an awesome thing that we need to take root on. Because if he's willing to equip you to do the good thing that he's called you to do, because he's putting it in you, it's just your action just to take it and say, God, I'll do whatever you ask. That's how we glorify him. That's how we exalt his name above every other name and how we're able to live this life to be what he's called us to do with a purpose. And lastly, oops, giving the proper sacrifices. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us, through him, then let the continual offer, or let them continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of their lips acknowledge his name. Do not neglect doing good and to share what you have, for the sacrifices are pleasing to God. You see, what God is trying to get you to understand is this very thing, this very question that we keep going back and forth on of what good is, is the thing that's going to always cause us to, strip, or to trip up because that's what Satan wants. He wants you to look at him and say, okay, if you're doing everything that I'm not saying to do, then it's good. But let me tell you, he's always going to try to get you to fall on your face because he wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything that is good within you. And if he's doing that, let me ask you, why do you think he would not tell you the bad stuff that he wants you to do? You cannot do that. Church, the only way that we can ask and truly understand what is good is if we apply what God is saying of the church today, of the church of yesterday, of the church of tomorrow, and that is the word of God. If we allow it to be the beacon that tells and defines us of everything, then we have the knowledge and the truth of what is good. What is good? pleasing and everything that we have. You see, in Psalms 32, God clearly defines it when he says in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else that they would not come near you. May sorrows, many sorrows shall be uh, the wicked, but those who trust in the Lord's mercy shall be surrounding him. Be glad, and in the Lord's rejoice, the righteousness, and shout joy for all, or all you upright in heart. You see, what I'm trying to get you to really understand is this one truth. One truth only. 
what is good and what is pleasing that we can decipher in this world is always going to come from him. We cannot look left or right any longer, church. We cannot kind of murky the waters a little bit sometimes. I'm not saying that everything that's going to come through the doors of this church is perfect. I want the imperfect to come through so that they can start getting God's goodness in them. But what I'm trying to say is we have to be so indifferent and be what the Bible calls as peculiar people that we would start being different and the world would take notice. Don't start repaying evil for evil, but start repaying evil for good for evil. Start loving your neighbor as yourself is the command. That's what Jesus was saying. And that's why when he looked at the rich young ruler and he says, if you want eternal life, you've got to understand your goodness measures are no longer valid any longer. If you'll stand with me this morning. He looked at him and says, your goodness and your measure are not valuable any longer. But you have to really understand the diagonal of what I'm trying to expose. The truth that I want to expose and highlight. It is always going to be about what God says. And not what your neighbor says. That's the struggle that keeps going on. That's the struggle as you... Start reading his word and you'll find it happens throughout all humanity. That's a struggle like when King David looked at his son and said he's good. I'm going to let him do what he's going to do. But Absalom had different intentions if you will read this week. You see, church, he's asking every single one of you today to take the definition of good that you've placed in your life and throw it out. And see his goodnesses and mercy show up. I don't know who this is going to be for, but every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. This is for those online as well. If you have never, or if you, if you don't know that the Lord is your Savior, and that he's the one that's your rock that you don't even understand, you can get latched to and you'll never perish. And you want to make him the salvation Lord of your life. You want to say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm a mess and I want you to give me the good label on me. We want to say a prayer with you, but we want you to raise your hand this morning. Is there anybody in the house this morning? If that's you online, just send us a text or in the chat comment, say it's me. There's no, no, no nothing scary about it at all. It's just you saying I'm a mess and I need him and we're just going to give God all the glory. And we're going to say this prayer this morning, but this words mean absolutely nothing if it's not the intention of your heart that's clearly saying, I want you, God, to be making me God. So if the church will say with me, dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I'm a sinner and I'm a mess. I need a savior to come into my life and redeem me and to call me good. So God, today. Because your word says that you died on the cross and raised from the dead for me, Lord. That I can be called this new good creation. So I believe in my heart and I declare it with my mouth that you are my Savior, Jesus. And I give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, what I want to also pray real quick there before we dismiss this morning that we would take the self-evaluation and ask God, God, lead me, 
Show me to be your goodness and your mercy. Let me decipher what your word says as I go through this life. So, Father God, Lord, I praise you for who you are. Lord, I ask you to touch every single person in this building, Lord. And I ask that you let us see your definition of what is good and pleasing to you, God. That we would see your goodness and mercy all the days of our life because of what you're showing us and you're leading us into. God, I ask you to touch our hearts and our minds today, Lord, and encourage us, Lord, as we go out. Touch those that couldn't be here this morning or those that are watching on the live stream this morning. Move upon every single one of us, Lord, and let us be what you called us to be, obedient sons and daughters of the Most High, who is showing us to love our neighbor as ourselves as we surrender it all to you, Lord, because we love you so much. God, touch this place, Lord. Touch this people, Lord, and let them be safe until we come. And God, let us see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, God, because that's what we hunger for the most. Lord, we praise you for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name. And our church said, Amen. Church, I love you all. I look forward to seeing you next week at the Lord Terry's. If not, you can come on Tuesdays, come for prayer time. If you can come on Wednesdays, 